0: Well, good morning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the first morning at camp is always tough, right? And, I was, and I, I've, always, <laughs> I've always noticed at camps, say, hey, who got four hours of sleep? Hands go up. Who got no sleep? You're like, Urgh. I'm like, like none at all. Yeah, I'm like, you guys are psycho. I don't understand that kind of, I think the older you get, the more you just want to sleep. Hey, grab your Bibles. We're in Exodus chapter five. And then we'll be kind of flipping around. Uh, different places in the morning, but we're going to land on there for a little bit. I know we just prayed, um, but if you don't mind, I'd like to pray again. I don't like to preach unless we pray. So let's get quiet before the Lord, and we'll we'll pray, and we'll jump into this, Okay. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, I pray that you would keep us humble and teachable. Father, for those of us who know you and love you, I pray that you would take us deeper into love with you and intimacy with you. And God, for those who are here that don't, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict of sin, draw them to Jesus, Father, that they would come to Christ and surrender and see what life was meant to be restored to you. So, God, I pray you take this feeble attempt on my part to make much of you, to teach your word, and I pray that you would do something incredible. Thank you that you want to meet us. Thank you that you want this more than any of us do. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Uh, and this is a rhetorical question you don't have to answer, but if someone would ask you, hey, are you a good person? What would you say? And I feel like most of the time we kind of look around, and someone's like, no. Okay, so like, we look around, and it's like, well, compared to who? And that's usually where it draws down to it. It's like, what? Well, I mean, compared to, and we'll throw out like the worst. I mean, I've done this at camps before. It's like, hey, who's one of the people that had just like this horribly evil impact on the world? And usually Hitler makes the list. Uh, 98% of the time, someone throws out Hitler. And then over here, it's like, oh, Mother Teresa is like the best. And so we can never be like her. And, and so then we just kind of land there. And I remember being at a camp one, one year ago, a while back. And I said, well, who's one of the best? They said Mother Teresa again and all the good work she did. But then when I said who's one of the worst, um, do you guys know Charlie Sheen? I don't even know if you guys know it. Like That was the person they named. Like They're like screaming and all of a sudden goes, Charlie Sheen. And I'm like, out of everyone on the planet ever, a guy that, <laughs> played some party dude in a sitcom compared to a dude that was responsible for six million people dying. It's like, I just, I don't know that it equates, but I'm like, okay, you're kind of out of your mind. So I'm not going to listen to that one. But we kind of said, okay, so say this is the worst and this is the best. We kind of sit there and go, well, I'm not, I'm not Hitler. And what I'm hoping that you're not like right next to him, like you're not, I'm not, at least I'm not Hitler. <clears throat> in this case, you're not that person. But it's like, I'm not over here either. And we think that we, if we land between these two places, we're fine. Friends, God's standard is himself, and he's perfect, and he's holy, and he's righteous and right. We think that if so long as I'm better than this person, I'm okay. But I think that for the most part, we actually think, well, we're pretty good. And then we come to passages in the scripture Verse, uh, Psalm 51 verse 5 Behold I was brought forth in iniquity And in sin did my mother conceive me Isaiah 64 6 We have all become like one who is unclean And all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments Romans 310 to 12 None is righteous No, no one No one understands No one seeks God All have turned aside Together they've become worthless But no one does good Not even one And some say Brian well I've got a good heart Or they've got a good heart. We've got a good heart. Like maybe our actions are bad, but we've got a good heart. Guys, you know what Jesus says about the heart? Okay, I don't know if you still do it in high school. I, I, I think in high school, I didn't really do it. Remember Valentine's when you were younger? Did anybody take Valentine's cards for everybody? Did your parents make Valentine's? Give passes out to everyone because everyone needs to know that they're loved. And so you walk in and you feel weird, like you're giving it to your friends. And then if there's a girl thing, in there, and then you go to, your, like guys, you give it to the guy friends, like, I don't know, my mom said to give it to you. It's like, it just, it just felt weird when I did it. It was this awkward moment. But then as you get older, it's like, I just want to give you my heart. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. You're like, Ugh. okay, but here's what, here's what Jesus says about the human heart. So this is what you're giving to someone on Valentine's Day. So just think about this. You sit there and go, well, my opinion is I'm going to go with Jesus. Why? Because he pulled off Easter. If a person dies, predicts his death, his burial, his resurrection, and pulls it off, I'm going with what he says. Here's what he says. Out of the heart. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Happy Valentine's Day. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. And you're like, I don't want it. Because that's, I mean, we just sit and go, well, I'm a sinner because there's sin in the world. No, no, no. There's sin in the world because we're sinners. It's so different. It's not, well, I became a sinner because of the things that I did. No, I was born into it. Sin has been passed down from Adam. We brought it, guys. We broke it. We did everything. We broke it. So it's not like, well, I'm, I'm just the victim, and sin is out there, and it got me. Friends, I'm conceived, and here's I'm rebellious against God before Christ. Before I surrendered my life to Christ, before he wooed me into relationship with himself, I was rebellious against him. Guys, it, it blows my mind. In the book of Romans, Paul refers to us as enemies. Like we're enemies of God. That while we still had this hatred toward God, Christ died for us. Wow, this is a really great way to start the morning, Brian. Well done. Here's why I think it's so important. Because you know how much more beautiful the cross becomes when we actually realize who we are? That while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. That Jesus died for the imperfect version of me, the the rebellious version of me. He didn't sit there and go, hey, I'll come and I'll do my part. Once you get to this place, then I'll do it. Guys, you realize every other world religion is this. Pretty much summarized. You do enough good things and maybe you'll make it. It's almost like the good has to outweigh the bad, but you see the problem with that. You never know what the score is. You never know if you're winning, if you're doing enough good over bad. And what if it's about the things that you didn't know were bad, but you did them? And there's a God up there that's just ticked off, and you have no clue that there's negative marks, that this is all the bad things that are happening. Guys, can you imagine living like that? My question to you is, do you? For those of you that are followers of Christ, you still find yourself living in this legalistic mindset that, yes, I'm saved by grace, but I have to. Guys, if that's what we've jumped into, we've turned the gospel into, hey, yes, Jesus did his part. Now the rest relies upon me. That is not the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that we're saved by grace through faith. And this faith, not of ourselves, that faith is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then it goes on, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It's all connected, but the works that we do is not so I can get heaven or I can be loved by God. I do those things because I already am, because I've surrendered to Jesus. But to think that God came for me while I was in hatred toward him, while humanity hated him, that as a rebel he called me to, he woos me into relationship with. Me. What God does that? The God of the Bible. Guys, it is so necessary for us to understand our sinfulness because we actually, we actually have a true need for a savior. You cannot do enough good things to get to God. I mean, Isaiah said it all of your good, deed, good deeds are like filthy rags. I think, like, wow. I mean, every, think about the most, quote unquote, purely motivated thing that you could ever do. That good work compared to the holiness of God is like a filthy rag. You sit there and go, oh, man, his judgment is too severe. Guys, his grace is awesome, his grace is amazing. It's like, well, I haven't done, like, the really bad stuff. And then the scriptures would say if you've broken one part of the law, you're a lawbreaker. It doesn't matter which ones, you've broken the law. When you get to here in Exodus chapter 5, Moses and Aaron are standing before Pharaoh, Finally, God convinced Moses. Remember, Moses gives out all these reasons. If you know the story, God says, you're going to go stand before Pharaoh. And in chapter three, he's like, but what about this? And but what about this? And but what about this? And there's this part in chapter four where he's like, well, it's in verse, uh, verse 10. He says, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have, or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. He's like, I don't talk real well. Now watch God's response. Who has made man's mouth? Now this is the part that's hard. Who makes him mute or deaf? Wait a minute. Who makes a person mute or deaf? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And you sit there and go, you know what, God. Maybe for some of you, you're sitting there going, "That's why I have a hard time. That's why I have a hard time with you." Yet, maybe you've never read that verse, but now you're sitting there going, "Here's another reason why I can't stand you." Isn't it weird that maybe for some you don't believe in God or you don't think that God is fair, and yet you still have this thing in you of what seems right and what seems wrong? But isn't it weird that all of a sudden the things that God says are right and wrong have been submitted or, or have been substituted? by what you declared to be right or wrong. I think one of my favorite themes of a camp I've ever done is this summer here because it talked about truth. And I brought this up a little bit yesterday, but isn't it weird? We live in this culture. You define it for you. I'll define it for me. So we have this idea there's no absolute truth, right? There's no absolute truth. What's the problem with that one statement? If I walk out and say, hey, there is no such thing as absolute truth. It's an absolute truth statement, right? So when a person says, there's no such thing as absolute truth, I'm like, you just told me that there's no absolute truth. That's an absolute truth statement. So you're just kind of contradicting yourself in the very beginning. Here's the other problem. If there is no such thing as absolute truth, there's no such thing as right or wrong, there's no sin or righteousness, then friends, we can never be offended by anything that anyone ever does, ever. Ever. That if a people group wanna oppress another people group, I cannot stand against them if their truth is their truth and my truth is my truth. You can't kind of get offended if someone says something that's offensive to you because that's their truth and they're getting to speak their truth. But once you start saying, well, there's no truth, but you can't do that's absolute truth. So, friends, here's the thing as we're watching society unravel, so they're going, Brian, are you terrified? No, because the gospel is still awesome. Isn't it true the light shines dark, the light shines brightest in the darkest places? The followers of Jesus, when you get to this point where you go, oh my gosh, I know who I am. And God, there's parts of you that I don't understand. Wait, you make people mute and blind and deaf. Like I always thought that was just something else that happened. Not at all, friends. God is sovereign. Over everything, God redeems everything. Does anybody ever watch uh, America's Got Talent? You ever watch that? Yeah, I don't know if it's still. I don't know if it's still popular. I think after a while, I'm kind of like, there's only so much of the stuff I can keep watching. But there was one a few years ago. A guy named Cody Lee. Remember, remember that one? So he's this young boy or young man who's blind, uh, autistic. Um, I mean, he can have a conversation, but he's, he's uh, social. Social. Uh, his social skills are a little bit lacking, and but he's just so excited, and so he's. I remember he goes, he goes up and they just start talking to him, and he's with his his mom, and, and as as he's talking, he's kind of he's getting excited, and, and they go, okay, so do your thing, and there's this massive grand piano, and everyone kind of all the judges had this look like, oh, what's what's gonna come from here? And all of a sudden, he plays the first note, and then he just goes off. he starts singing you're just kind of like oh my gosh and their jaws drop here's a blind guy and he has this gift that only a handful of people in the world have where he hears music one time and he's mastered it and he can play anything that comes up and he starts singing and people are blown away by this and i I kept sitting there and I'm watching this and I'm going, okay, God, he's incredibly talented, like a genius musically. And his voice, it's good. I would say it's the best I've ever heard, but it's good. But the reason that this story or what I'm watching blows our minds is because of the afflictions or the affirmities that he has to go through. He shows life is possible and he has joy while he does it. All things bring glory to God. And he wins the whole thing. Friends, there's something pretty powerful when we stop pretending that we actually understand everything about God. And we realize there's a mystery to him. And the parts I don't understand of him, it's okay. But I'm still gonna go with what scripture says rather than thinking he's on the judgment seat. I'm gonna realize I'm on the judgment seat. Or at least I was. So here in chapter 5, Moses and Aaron are standing before him. All the excuses have been pushed to the side. Verse 1 After Mo- Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Thus says the Lord. And Pharaoh's response was, What? Who's the Lord? Who is the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Gosh, not a jerk, right? Guys, we've been brought up in the church just going, go, this is it. This is the worst guy in the world. Unless we start sitting there going, isn't this kind of what we're like before Christ? And maybe even at times, if we don't have a proper view of who God is, we'll actually, when God says, this is what's right and this is what's wrong, we'll sit there and go... Okay, but, God, are you really saying, who's the Lord that I should obey his voice? Hopefully what we saw last night, you kind of sit there and go, okay, I didn't know he's like that. And friends, that's just a feeble attempt on my part to try to make much of God. Guys, I think this this attitude is in all of us at some point until we come to a realization of who he is. Until we've submitted to him as Lord, that we all have this, we're all guilty of this. We have to recognize who he is. Do me a favor, turn over to John chapter 4. This was in my quiet time this morning. Um, I had something else planned, but it just stood out to me. This is the woman at the well. Um, you've been brought up in the church, you've probably heard the passage. We're going to go through it uh, with the time we have left. Chapter 4, verse 1 of John. It says now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. I'm so thankful that we have a God who came, he became a man and he knows what it feels like to be tired. He gets it. He understands that even in Psalm 103, the psalmist says, as a father, as his father shows compassion on his son, so God shows compassion on us. He remembers our frame, he knows that we're dust. He knows how difficult this is. He knows how hard this life is. Jesus can relate with us. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. But when you start thinking about also what he endured on the cross, guys, the weight of every sin that he endured, guys, so he gets it, he knows how hard this is. He knows what it feels like to be tired. Verse seven, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Anyone else think that's a little bit rude? I'm like, uh-oh. Can you imagine? You're just sitting there, or I'm, I'm sitting there, you're with your friends and all of a sudden you, just have, you all have something to drink and I look at you and say, hey, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Doesn't that just seem a little awkward? And then watch her response. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Why would that be her first question? Guys, do you realize how much the Jewish people and the Samaritan people hated each other? Guys, do you realize that there was racism all the way back here? Can we land on that for a second? Racial tensions? have always been. Racism has always been. Why? Because it's connected to what? Sin. It's connected to sin. Friends, here's why I think that the scriptures and the Christian, the Christian uh, life actually has an answer for it. When you try to take God out of the equation when it comes to race, if I was to ask, if you take God out of the equation, then why should we show Show love and concern and honor toward all people, no matter what their race is. Why should we do it? You take God out of the equation, why should we do it? Well, we should just do it because it's the right thing to do. So then you believe in absolute truth. Or we're supposed to love one another. Again, that's an absolute truth, that's a true statement. When you put God into it, here's the thing, here's why. Every human being on the planet, whether born or unborn, has value. Why? Because we're all created in the very image of God, and therefore we have intrinsic value. Why do we show all races, all races, love and concern and support and honor and respect? Why? Because every single person, human being on the planet is created in the very image of God. And because they're created by God, they are beyond value. Do you see how the Christian worldview deals with it? In church, followers of Jesus, we need to show the world we are the agents of reconciliation. This is what we can do. And Jesus breaks the barrier he, a Jewish rabbi, and Jewish rabbis would never speak to a woman on their own in this day, he breaks the racial barrier, he breaks the gender barrier, and he goes and he speaks to this woman, and she says, how could you speak to me? In verse 10, Jesus answered, if you knew, if you knew, what, what did know? if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew what was being offered, but even more than that, if you knew the one who was asking you, if you recognized me for who I I really am, then you would be asking me. Guys, do you realize how it all comes, do you see how it all comes down to do we recognize Jesus for who he really is? So, Father of Jesus, do you recognize Jesus for who he really is? Or have you dumbed him down so he's tolerable goes on the woman said to him sir you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep where do you get that living water are you greater than our than our father jacob he gave us the well drank from himself and did his sons and, his, or, and did as did his sons and his livestock but jesus said to her everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that i will give him will, th- will never be thirsty again The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Man, Jesus is so good. He's talking about water, and she's thinking literally, and he's talking about heaven stuff. And so she's totally intrigued. And do you realize this is during the heat of the day? This is midday. In that culture, the women would go, and they would get water, but they'd go early in the morning to to beat the heat. But why would she go on her own? Nobody else around, just her in the heat of the day. And I think that we'll see later on, there's a reason for it. Verse 15, the woman said to her, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come to here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. That is the most, <laughs> that just doesn't make any sense. It's like Jesus, stay focused. It's like we're talking about living water, living water, living eternal life, bam, bam, go get your husband. Now watch your response. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. You ever walked in on a conversation and it got really uncomfortable? Like you just walked in and went, I don't want to be here. And you just kind of back up. You ever walked in on a fight? Maybe your parents were fighting. You kind of walk in going, I need to go do something else. And you walk away. I mean, guys, Jesus just calls her out. That thing, maybe. That thing that caused her to go in the heat of the day. Jesus calls it out to what? Deal with it. He says, yeah, you've had five husbands. And then he goes on, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Dang. I remember a professor told me this years ago, and I, man, I've never forgotten it. Jesus is not always nice, but he is always good. He was, this is not a nice question. We're always trying to, okay, I'm going to, I need to, how do I ask this question? How do I say this in a loving way, in a nice way, so that they're not offended? Jesus just goes kind of for the jugular. Go get your husband. I don't have one. I know you've had five. Uh Uh-oh. He's been reading my mail. Like he knows. And the one you're with now? Yeah. Homeboy's not your husband. Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, no. Guys, you've been caught in a lie. When you are a little, you get caught in a lie and you kind of, you know you got caught. You just try to prove that you didn't. But it's that, it's that oh, no moment. You're like, oh, no. I might die today. And you're praying, you're praying for death, you're praying for the rapture, like you're praying for anything, right? Guys, this is, <laughs> I remember growing up, uh, one of our main, my brother and I, our job every Friday was to clean the whole house. That was our, that was, those were our chores. Every Friday we had to clean the house. And the one thing I had to do that I hated was vacuuming. I love mowing lawns. I love it. I mean, if God ever called me out from being a pastor and just let me mow like a riding lawnmower parks to just mow parks, not in California because we don't have any water, but like other places where we can, we, can, we can grow grass. Guys, that's like a dream job of mine. But vacuuming, I don't like it. Never have. But that's my job. And so it wasn't like today, anybody have one of those robot vacuums? Those, I, oh, come on. How great are those? Oh, I, and I want to bless it like you push the button and it's all happy. It's like, like oh, I want to bless you. Yes, clean, clean, do it, go, go. And then if you, has anybody ever watched them? Okay, this is oh, this has nothing to do. This is a squirrel moment. But I watch it. I just kind of go. Oh my God! I predict where it's gonna go. It's like, it's going to go, you got to go right, and it goes left. I'm like, how stupid are you? I'm actually speaking to a stupid vacuum as if it understands me. Anyway, I digress. So back, back then, it was this massive vacuum that just weighed like 65 pounds. So getting it out, I felt like I got a hernia every time. I had to go have surgery. Was, like horrible. And so, but it always left tracks. And so there's this massive vacuum. My brother, he had to like clean the glass and oh, whatever else. I just knew I did more, which sucked, right? The younger brother always... Gets the worst jobs. And so I'm doing my part. One day I go, I don't want to vacuum. I hate vacuuming, but I got to make it look like I did. So here's how stupid your camp speaker is. (laughs) Here's what I did. I pulled out the vacuum. I didn't plug it in. Because I'm like, I'm not vacuuming today. But I went through the house. (laughs) Doing the motion. No joke. I just like... And the whole time, sitting, so they going, ha, 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 ha. I'm getting away with it. I'm making tracks. My brother's like, just plug it. Shut up. I'm not vacuuming. I hate vacuuming. I don't like vacuuming. I did the whole, the, the room in our house that no one ever goes. Do you have one of those? It's called the living room. We, we went in the den. The living room was like off limits for some reason. That's where all the nice stuff was, even though it wasn't really that nice. But I did it, made tracks, put it away. Mom comes home, she goes, Boys, look, the boy or the house looks great. <laughs> and I just said, Brian, can I talk to you? I said, Yeah, absolutely. I was like, I knew I got away with it. Because I made tracks. She goes, Brian, can you come here? I said, Yeah. Did you vacuum? I said, Yeah, you see the tracks. Well, how'd you miss this? There's like this big pile of junk. I said, Oh, the vacuum sucks. Really? But it went right over it. I know, I know it sucks. And then over here, same thing. And, and then there's over here. And she goes, Brian, be honest. Did you just take it out and make tracks? <laughs> and, she, and then she goes, you realize if you just plugged it in and did the exact same thing, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I just got caught. So yeah, maybe I should digress. I'm just gonna go home, get somebody smarter to come and finish the rest of the messages for the weekend. But guys, we kind of do, it's like when God confronts us, what's our response? And we think, well, I I bet she just felt horrible because I bet Jesus just laid into her. What if he didn't? What if he just simply asked the question? What if he just made the statement and continued to look at her, waiting for the response? What if God is actually more inviting rather than condemning, wanting us? But friends, he also will judge sin if we reject him. You're right. You're not married. You don't have a husband right now, but you've had five. And the man that you're with right now, yeah, you're not married to him. And what's her response? Verse 19, the woman said to her, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. See, at first, he's just this Jewish guy. And all of a sudden, it's like, I can tell you're a prophet. All of a sudden, she's starting to recognize who he is a little bit more. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman? <laughs> that just sounds so rude. And it's not like it is today. It's like, woman, make me a sandwich. It's not, it's not like that. He's not a male chauvinist. Guys, isn't this the... Think about it. If she's she's being treated kind of as an outcast in society and she's being judged by everyone else in the little community that she lives to where she feels like the only time she can go get water is when no one else from the community is around, isn't it one of the most endearing terms that God can use in that moment for Jesus to remind her, you are woman. Friends, this is him putting value back into her. He says, woman, believe me. I know you've heard them say it, but believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming. And is now here when what? True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Why, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Friends, I have read this passage over, and this morning, I double underlined that part. The Father is seeking worshipers. He's seeking you. And he's seeking after people who will worship him in spirit and truth. Not just in singing, not just with hands raised when the song's going, not just showing up on a Sunday morning, doing the thing, hitting the youth group, showing up in chapel during the week, doing those things, and then outside of it, just do whatever we want. Guys, worship is every single thing we do say and think all to the glory and praise of God, intentionally wanting to just say to him, I just love you and thank you, and may everything that I do say and think be in honor of you and what you've done for me. Those are the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, isn't it weird? Watch this, watch this change in subject. I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am Messiah Guys you realize that Jewish people Have been waiting for him to show up For hundreds and hundreds of years Do you realize that there's a 400 year gap Between the last book of the Old Testament And the first book of the New Testament That for 400 years God went silent No prophetic words Nothing Went silent And here's the people of Israel in, In bondage Being oppressed by the Roman government and here's the messiah stand before but i love the way that he words it jesus said to i speak to you am he take out that middle phrase who speak to you and just listen to what he says you've heard messiahs coming i am he why is that so important cuz last night we looked at when moses said what's that name i should tell people when someone says hey who who sent you like what's this, what's the name of this god that you're talking about and god says what he says i am who i am and in this statement, Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. I am he. Disciples come back, and, but when you watch, verse 28, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Guys, I don't know that's the best way to convince people. It's like, you know what, you should come meet this person. Why? knew all he knew all my junk and he told me all my junk i'm good i don't want to be part of that guys we actually think oh how do i i'll say it this i say it this way often let me just let me encourage you with two words ready i'll include myself we suck oh it's so freeing like we suck it's like oh yes we do It's so great to know why, because I don't have to try to pretend to be someone I'm not. I know that I'm in need of a savior and there's this God who wants relationship with me. I don't have to prove anything to him. He wants me. He wants you. You know the beauty of confession? Guys, over the last three, four, five months, I've been applying this principle of confession. By confession, I mean this, just going to God and going, God, you know that thought I just had and I just go into detail. God, I don't want that. That's not pleasing to you. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? And then it's beautiful. It's like it's not plaguing me anymore. If I need to go to confess to someone else because I've wronged them, the beauty that comes from that, guys, it's incredible. But we don't do that. We're trying to prove to God I'm not that bad. And with other people... You ever said something and thought that you maybe you might have offended the person, but you don't want to bring it up just in case you didn't, and she just try to feel them out, so maybe you'll throw out a little joke to see if they laugh normal, and if they laugh normal, like, oh, we're good, but all of a sudden, you throw out that joke that it usually lands and just kills it, and they're like, and they do something like that, <laughs> then you kind of know you're in a bad place. But we're just trying to fill each other out instead of just coming to a person going, you know what, I've wronged you. When I said that, I feel like I offended you. And if I did, I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? We don't practice these things. Why, because we're not that bad. Or at least I have to convey to you that I'm not that bad. It is so freeing to know I'm that bad. Outside of Jesus, I'm that bad. No, I'm pretty good. Guys, Jesus is the one who said there is no one good except God alone. Only God is good. And I'm so thankful that this good God just really loves us. She went and told everyone, you got to come see this guy. He told me all my junk. And the thing is, they showed up. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. We've heard him for ourselves. You introduced us to him. Why is this so important to me? Guys, when you look at her, when you see her process of recognizing Jesus, you're just a Jewish man. Then all of a sudden, you're a prophet. I think you might be the Messiah. And all of a sudden, when you start to recognize who Jesus is, you want him to be around, and you want to be around him. They even said, could you stay two days with us? You recognize the value of him. Followers of Jesus, you recognize the value of the one who's called you. Because if you do, giving up our stuff, man, he's worth it, Right? When we don't recognize the value of the one who's invited us, that's when we start to debate, is he worth it? Is he worth it? Let me encourage you to this. I remember I was, uh, it was, I was up here at Hume a while back, and we had just finished calling students to come to surrender to Jesus. And when that happens, uh, we call kids to stand up and let everyone see it and watch. And when I'm done and people are kind of doing all their stuff, I usually sit in the back. I just sit there and watch and I just pray and praise God. It's awesome. I love it. But for some reason, I hadn't made it back yet, and I was sitting next to one of the lead counselors, and this 15-year-old kid comes walking up, and he looks at me, he's he's crying. And he's like, Brian, can I I talk to you real quick? And he's trying to keep the tears in. You You ever try to do that? And it's amazing the noises that come out of your body when you're trying not to cry. You know what I'm talking about? Like you ever been to a wedding where the father of the bride gets up and he says time to give the speech and he's like I just want <clears throat> to when you start hearing the clearing of the throat a lot you know the emotions <clears throat> <clears throat> it's like all the it's constant right it just keeps coming <laughs> so you just and, and no joke every time I sit there I'm like no here it comes here it comes and I say God give him strength give him strength <clears throat> and then they'll make some statement <clears throat> I told myself it was like <clears throat> Ugh. I told myself I wasn't going to cry. And once that statement comes out, you know it's going to happen. So they take a breath. And they go, okay, make a joke. And they go, I just want to... And it just kind of comes out like a demon. And so it comes out. Right? Every time it's just weird. So this guy comes up and he thankfully didn't make that noise because I'm afraid what we would have done. So he's, he's kind of, like, can I talk to you real quick? I said, sure. And he just explained the cross. And so we're going to go through that message tonight. But he, he goes, Brian, I just don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy of what Jesus did. And I looked at him and I went, you're not. His <laughs> eyes got like this big. I was like okay, thanks. And he walks away. He starts to walk, he starts to walk away. Like I had just crushed every dream in his, like in his mind. Like all he'd ever heard from mom the whole time is like, you are, you are worthy. You're worthy. Like, like, like all those things that he'd heard his whole life. I just, I'm looking, I didn't mean to hurt him. I'm just like, you're not. He said, like, oh, okay, thanks. He's, and he's so I grab him by the on, I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. <laughs> and I said, dude, you're not worthy, but the cross is God's declaration that you're worth it. And it was like, case <sighs> we're not worthy, but he deems us worth it? How do I know? Because Christmas happened and Easter happened. He took a cross while we were still sinners so for those of you that still may be sounding like pharaoh who was the lord that i should obey his voice my prayer is that you would actually take time honestly and i don't hope i pray that this all comes out loving i know that for some of you you found some there's might be some in the room that you found this reason to not want God. And it's some person on, they put on some YouTube video that they made in their mama's basement, four and a half minutes to prove why Christianity is not true. Four and a half minutes of people who have spent, like over the last couple thousand years, nothing, no no book from ancient antiquity has as much evidence to prove the backing and the reliability of the word. But it's just this quick little thing saying, ah, this is why you don't have to believe it. There's the contradict. bam. Or maybe for some of you, you prayed and your mom still died. And instead of going to God, it's better to go away from him and to be angry with him or to not believe in him. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? See, I did everything I was supposed to before, and it didn't turn out like I wanted. And friends, like I said last night, I will never downplay those feelings. But what I do want to do is challenge you to come into the right perspective. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He did not then say, Your kingdom come, your will be done, if I like it. He said, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But Brian, you know how hard it is to submit to that? To accept that, I do, unless you recognize God, unless you recognize Jesus for who he is. And then you sit and go, maybe, just maybe, I might not see the good yet, but maybe it's just because he's not finished with it yet. Friends, if you don't see the good in it yet, it's because he's not done with it yet. If you're still in that place, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? My challenge to you is read this. Not, don't start in Genesis and try to get through Leviticus and think you're going to make it. But why don't you start with Matthew? Or actually start with Mark. Mark's my favorite gospel. Start with Mark and get to know Jesus. Read the gospels. Read Mark and then go through the rest of the other three and get to know Jesus. And when you start seeing who he is and what it is that he did what he's called us to maybe your perspective will change for those of you who do do love jesus can i ask you have you lost sight of who jesus is but my next question is have you lost sight of who you were before surrendering to jesus because here's the joy before christ sinner but then i surrendered my life to jesus now i'm a new creation It's God doing an incredible work. And so when people go, Christians, you're just a bunch of sinners. I'm like, no. Before God, because of Christ, I'm a saint. I'm a child of God who sins. That's so different than being a sinner. My identity has changed. I get to be a child of God because of Jesus who struggles with sin rather than my identity being wrapped in my sin. But, oh, I can appreciate the gospel so much more when I recognize where I was and now who I am because of him. It's freeing. It's so freeing. That's what I want to move us into. Recognize who we were and then move into who we are all because of what it is that Jesus did. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you did. When I, look at, when I look at Exodus and I look at all that you did with Pharaoh, the plagues that came, I still think that you were using those, showing your glory, revealing to Pharaoh who he was up against. And yet even in the past, even, the, even in the chapters there, God, he hardened his heart. There were times you hardened his heart. I don't understand those things, God. God. I don't pretend to, but I know you're good. God, I thank you that while we were sinners, while we all had that same attitude, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? You still came, you called, and many here know you and surrendered to you, and I thank you for that gift, but oh Jesus, the beauty of the gospel is heightened when we recognize how sinful we are. Oh, and the identity that you change, that we get to be your kids. So Holy Spirit, take a feeble attempt like I say often. Oh, convict of sin. Maybe some are living in sin, claiming to be followers of you. Convict of sin and draw them back into intimacy with you. God, thank you for confession and repentance, the beauty that comes with those things. And I pray for these students. I pray they have a blast today. I pray they enjoy. I pray that... They're shooting paintballs. They pray they do it in worship of you because you created fun. God, in all that we do today, may we be mindful of you and thankful to you for everything. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says amen. Love you all more than you know.